I'm Tyler Smiley. And I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded podcast. Rooted and Grounded, in case you didn't know, is a ministry of Lakewood Baptist Church that creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. Check out more, and we'd really like you to, at rootedandgrounded.co. And if I do say so myself, though, I'm slightly biased as the person who edits and posts most of the things on the website. Uh, some some strong content in 2021. Hit the ground running. We've got some, some strong things from our church planners, uh, and then also a lot on Galatians, as you would imagine. So... Um, I feel like uh, I feel like we're doing well you on, know, the, on I, the content front. I think it's been great, and but the best year yet on the website. And I'm going to put it out there on the open airwaves because mm. I want to be accountable to it, and I want to write this article. John, yeah, the people want with you everything to write this in article. me. Yeah, with everything in me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit in Galatians. He's fairly prominent. And you are a scholar and a pastor of the Holy Spirit. I've been collecting my notes as we've been working through Galatians, as I've been reading, I've been making notes, I've been putting them in. And I just got to put this thing together now. And uh, I want to do it for my own benefit, but then we'll post it online. Uh, I'm looking for a reader. We had had some listeners, listener email. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to find the exact email here that we that we received about some of our comments about trending young (laughs) and uh i don't know that it was well received uh tyler i think some people said uh uh yes this is uh the email was for what it's worth we'd like to get younger too but uh so i would just like to say we take listeners and readers in all shapes and forms uh at rooted and grounded there's neither jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female young nor old but we're all one in christ amen and amen all right we'll take anybody listening that will be willing to listen yeah so just and i would like to point out we are happy to read listener emails on the air send them in i'd love more of those it's one of my favorite things actually it's fun because i mean we record this and we're live right now i mean (laughs) As we're far alive. As we know we are alive, <laughs> but you know, then we have to uh, we have to upload it and then publish it onto the website and then edit out many of my comments. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's not put out live, right? I mean, we all know that. So when I when we get the emails in, it reminds me. Oh yeah, we did talk about that, and it's always a fun little down memory lane, you know, for us. Absolutely. Speaking of going down memory lane. We're talking about Galatians 3, 15 through 4, 7. Yep. Uh, which you preached on on Sunday. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Uh, your father was your hype man in the real life in the chapel. Oh. Uh, he's. You, did you ever watch the and one mixtapes where like the, the players oh, have the hype guy on the court? You know, yeah, you know telling course. everyone how great they are. Waving his towel. Yeah. That yeah. was your dad was basically doing that for your sermon in uh, real life in the chapel. Uh that's that's what I'm going to picture from now on. But he was he was very encouraging. But it was very good. Uh, it was a good sermon. But I just had to say, you you didn't directly reference Martin Luther, um, but you talked about this idea 
of distinguishing between the law and the gospel. Right. And so Luther, I mean, you, you alluded to it. Many other people have said it, but Luther says, whoever knows well how to distinguish the gospel from the law should give thanks to God and know that he is a real theologian. So this idea, well, one, it's a gift of God if you can tell the difference between law and gospel. That's but right. that's really what it means to know God, to know his word, is to distinguish between these two. And that's what, I mean, it's re- obviously all of Galatians is about this. But in 3.15 to 4.7, this idea of the promise, the gospel being greater than the law is so, so prevalent. Why, I want to ask you, like, uh, for our day-to-day lives, why is it so important that distinction between law and gospel to be able to see and really to live out the difference between those two? And kudos for the Martin Luther reference, you know, just be still my beating heart. Well, and, and Luther is so good on Galatians. You've got the commentary on Galatians. I did quote him later, I think, in the sermon, but I'd have to go back and remember exactly. I may have gotten distracted by that I point hunting down those quotations. So, you know. It was late. You were trying to find it. Uh, I should I not be allowed while, to have a smartphone during the sermon. No, no. Especially no, you, one you, you, uh, with the Greek reference tools I have. Because if you tell me the Greek says something, you better believe I'm going to check that out. I do not We're double checking that. I'm, that's right. You know, I'm a good Berean. That's um, that's that's why you're so endearing there, John. Because we know <laughs> you're you got you're going to confirm. It helps us be precise. Uh that's an interesting choice of words. Uh, I I once had someone tell me that I was the most difficult person they had in their Bible study, but you know, endearing is another way to look at it. So I'm glad either. I've been more sanctified, or you're more sanctified than that leader. So maybe a combination of the two. I did quote Luther on Galatians. He said this that we obtain eternal gifts in his commentary, eternal gifts, namely the forgiveness of sins, righteousness, the glory of the resurrection, and everlasting life, not as agents, but as patients. That is not by doing, but by receiving. So for all of uh, you Luther lovers out there, uh, he did make an appearance in the sermon. I alluded to that earlier, and then I quoted him later on in the sermon. Okay, so enough of Luther and Galatians. To John's original question, to your original question, um, which was, how does it, how does the distinction between law and gospel impact our daily lives? Is that basically that's basically the question? So. Uh, well, here's the first thing that comes up. We are so I, I don't I want to be careful here to not say this is true of absolutely everyone, but in my perception, the incredible majority of us, nearly all of us, if not everyone, we are so prone to slip into a law-based mentality as Christians. We always we uh we always want to perform so that we can show our right standing. We can show our Christianity. And it just slips in in the most, um, sometimes the most subtle ways, but it, it's always, I don't think we'll ever on in this life get rid of the temptation to want to prove ourselves by our actions. Now, when you say that, there comes sort of a load of qualifications, which 
what Paul does in Galatians that's so helpful is starts to unpack what the law is really intended to do and what the gospel really is. What he does that's really helpful in, for instance, Romans is to ask a lot of the rhetorical questions that come up as you begin to unpack the gospel, which makes, to me, Romans helpful in that way because he's asking a lot of the things that if you're really hearing what he's saying, you'll ask, but then if you really understand what he's saying, you'll you'll track with him as he responds to each of those. So it's not as if these questions come up because what he's saying is contradictory, but it's because these questions come up if you're rightly hearing what he's saying, and then when you think through it and you understand the message of the gospel, these questions become more answerable. So with uh, Galatians, as he's talking about the use of the gospel or the use of the law and the point of the gospel, it to me, it's always a reminder that we are constantly going to want to prove ourselves by our actions. And so then, of course, you're going to ask, well, does that mean I don't ever have to do anything? Just I get to do nothing or whatever I want to as a Christian? And that obviously is not the case because we're working out our salvation. We are at work in our lives. We're called, because we've been saved by the gospel, to let the work of the Spirit bear its fruit in our lives. So it's obvious that we're participating, we're engaging, we're doing but it's never in a sense to justify ourselves, nor is it in a sense to justify God's grace and saving us. Like that's another way mm-hmm. we could slip into it. Well, I know God saved me, but I just want to let everyone know that God made the right decision. You know, so I'm going to live like this to just really, you made a good choice there. And so I think it, it has everything to do with our daily lives because every day, when we wake up, we're, uh, well, we're probably either going to want to do nothing in our Christian faith, and then that will just be, uh, maybe in the most negative way, abusing the grace of God because we have been saved by His grace. Mm-hmm. But we're often going to wake up, and even on our best days, are going to do things that seem like, um, I just ought to do this, and if I do, then I'm a better Christian. That's not the gospel. Right. And so, I mean, I think what you're pointing at is that, especially as you get to the end of the letter and he starts talking about walking by the spirit, like the life that Paul's calling you to, that's calling us to the scripture, in some way, the outward actions of walking by the spirit and living under the law are not that different. I mean, Jesus talks about what's, what's the summary of the whole law to love God and to love our neighbor. Yeah. But, I think what Paul's getting at here and what you you brought out on Sunday is this difference between law and gospel manifests itself in motivation and and ultimately in our ability to do those things. Right? And that we can't we can't love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't love God with all our hearts apart from the work of the spirit through the gospel in our lives. That's right. Uh, but getting getting to that heart level which is where Jesus took us in the gospels. And now I think where Paul is taking us here in Galatians is that yet it, it's about your motivation and your heart in obedience that really makes the difference. Uh, so can I give you an a, illustration? Help me think through this. Okay, here we go. Uh, because sometimes I, I think I always recognize that in my own heart that uh, there are times when my motivations are, I mean, my motivations are always going to be mixed. All of our motivations will be mixed always. 
but there's sometimes where maybe it's more prevalent than others. So for instance, in the mornings, I like to wake up early. Uh, I get up and maybe get a little breakfast and I, I try to set some time aside just to read the Bible, mm-hmm. whatever I happen to be reading that particular time. Now, there are lots of times when I wake up and I think, I just need to do this because this is the right thing. But it's not as if I just have this incredible passion every morning to read the next pages that's on the list. So you get sort of this mixed thing, but I'm going to do it because I know I ought to do it, even though that may not be the best motivation. But then often, most of the time, what I'll find is that as I get into it, my motivations even then begin to change. So sometimes the Lord will work through by his grace, even our to do the right thing, even though we may not be, you know, sort of loving it, just excited, energized. Mm -hmm. And yet oftentimes just by that faithfulness, that obedience, he'll start to change that so that boy, by the time I get to the end, it's like, I don't want to stop. I mean, this has just been so rich, you know, and it's that and the sort of law gospel law gospel. I mean, it's just always sort of on my heart there. Is that? Yeah. Well, I think it's, you're reminded, you know, when Luther talks about giving thanks to God for being able to distinguish between law and gospel, you realize like even you see the gospel manifesting itself in our, in your life when you have those desires, like just the impossibility of changing desires. And yet that God would give you a desire I mean, on a human level, right, you look at it and say, why in the world do you want to wake up at whatever time in the morning, I'm, you know, to read a 2,000-year-old book and pray to a God you can't see? Like, you just sort of go through these devotional prayers and say, like, why would I do these again? And you realize, humanly speaking, you wouldn't, but that this grace from God that draws, that he would draw us to himself um, and give us those desires. So, yeah, I think, and I do think that's one, you know, often we think of sort of the ought to as the law, which, I mean, in a sense it is, and yet that ought to is also God's grace to it. Like the law, it's not as if the law is not gracious in when understood rightly, right? right. That these parameters, these boundaries, these ought tos are actually God's grace to us in many ways. Um, but then what Paul is so adamant against is not letting obedience shape your obedience or disobedience be the determiner of your relationship with the Lord. Like, All right. So you brought that up. This is a great point. Okay. I got my, this is a great point because in Galatians, what you have is what we understand uh, God's teaching on what is the point of the law. Mm-hmm. And so you oh. just you, you mentioned a minute ago um, that uh, the law is, in a sense, if you understand it rightly, a grace of God, that he would give this to his people to say, this is this is what it looks like to have a relationship with the God. I mean, if you can go back to the Ten Commandments coming down, Moses, mm-hmm. this is what it looks like to be in a relationship with the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God who brought you right. out of Egypt. I love you. I saved you. I redeemed you. Now, this is what it looks like Mm -hmm. for you to walk in obedience and have a relationship with me. And it has these vertical dimensions, our relationship with God, and obviously horizontal dimensions, our relationship with others. But what Paul really is helping us to clarify in Galatians 
is the the purpose of that law all along. And the point of the law was never to save or give us life, Mm -hmm. but it was meant for something else. So as you read through Galatians, John, what are the uses of the law that Paul is outlining that we really need to make sure we're understanding? Well, I think, you know, the big thing here is Paul's talking about the temporary nature of the law, that the law was only meant as a guardian as a steward that would point us to our need of Christ. So I think one of the main things that comes out in this section is the promise to Abraham, this gospel promise to Abraham, though I, you know, we would, we would see it even earlier in Genesis three, but I think Paul's opponents are bringing out Abraham. So he's focusing on Abraham. This gospel promise to Abraham comes 430 years before the law. And so it takes priority and the law comes in, as a steward, as a guardian, as essentially, uh, you know, a, a babysitter keeping us until our adoption in Christ through the gospel. And so I don't know if this is helpful. You can tell me if this, this analogy is helpful. You know, we're ultimately looking at adoption in Christ. So what came to mind for me is that, um, and this again, not to denigrate what this is, but in, in a sense, I feel like the law is spiritual foster care, mm. right? The, go, the, the whole goal here, it has a very good and important goal, but it's never meant to be permanent. Mm-hmm. And it, it raises us, it prepares us, and it's leading us to Christ, to that final adoption in Christ. But it's always meant to be temporary. And so it's a good and necessary thing that we have to have, that we... And we need it in this history of redemption to lead us to Christ, to show us our need of Christ. I think it's a great illustration. Yeah. I mean, it really helps to see the point, the temporary nature of it, yeah, and that it does have a purpose. And here's what its purpose is, to prepare you, to, to prepare you for what the Lord will do to ultimately save you. Because I think what, what the law is doing, you know, he says here in 319, the law was given because of transgression. Like the law shows us, reveals to us our transgression. And in many ways, just by nature of who we are as humans, amplifies our transgressions because uh, it turns out people don't like rules. <laughs> and I mean, Paul says, I didn't know what it was to covet until the law told me not to covet. And so I think the law is revealing our sinfulness and in some ways even increasing it to drive us to, to Christ and to see our need for him. And that's you know, you can, I think you can think about this in two ways. You can think about it sort of through the history of redemption, the history of the Bible, like, okay, promise to Abraham, Mosaic law, Jesus comes, and the law had a role there. But I think you can do, do you think you can do that personally too? And say like, hey, before I come, came to faith in Christ, you know, God's law was actually important in revealing the sin to me, in my sin to me. And it showed me like, okay, this is what a right relationship with God looks like. I'd, I'm unable to do that on my own. But faced with these requirements, I actually see my sin and see my need for the Savior. Um, I think it's true. I mean, it's, I think Paul's arguing here the history of what God's doing. But I, I think there's a sense in which it's also true in our own lives that the law helps us see our need for Christ. Yeah, there's no doubt. And what 
it, I mean, what's worth emphasizing every time we talk about, it, we've already talked about it once, but the, our hearts that are inclined towards doing what, what we know we ought not do. I mean, even that we, even if you're the youngest Christian uh, or you became a Christian at the youngest age, uh, as soon as you could sort of understand, you believe, you don't re really remember a time when you've not ever believed. Uh, we, you can't even keep the 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 actions that are required of the law. I mean, we 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 will either take something that's not ours, or you'll be dishonest, or you'll covet, you'll want something that you you know it belongs to someone else, or whatever it may be. Uh, and Okay, so we get that part, but it goes still deeper that you have to understand there's the reason you're doing that. It's not because you just sort of accidentally slipped into it, but because it was something in you that drew you towards doing that, towards disobeying, towards, you know, and it always comes to your heart. I mean, it's always ultimately going to reveal that our hearts are uh, disinclined towards following God's ways. And um, that's why the law will never work because it, it can't change your heart. Right. And that's ultimately what, you know, when Jesus comes and pronounces that the kingdom of God is at hand, we've seen throughout the Bible, God's people and he redeems them and he puts them in his place in his land, but they fail ultimately to experience his blessing because they can't live under his rule. Like he, that blessing of his presence that we see coming to fruition in Galatians, God's people don't experience when they can't live under his rule. And it's that issue of the heart. And the law shows us that even if we're redeemed, right? Like this is why I think Galatians is so important that it's not just that we need God to save us initially, but we actually need him for the entire, his grace for the entirety of our Christian lives. Because otherwise, even if he redeems us, rescues us from slavery in Egypt, puts us in his land that he's promised, sets up all the rules and regulations, sets up everything, we won't follow him. And so it's not just that we need his gospel and his grace to redeem us, but we actually need his gospel and his grace to keep us in that redemption and to help us live in a manner worthy of the gospel so that we can live under God's rule and experience God's That's blessing. Right. And it's because of, uh, so as Paul convenes to sort of unpack this, uh, it's not that the law was uh, bad or evil. It's, uh, you know, the law certainly is a, is a good, uh, in, in that way, it's a good gift of God. The problem is us. And yet this is exactly where Jesus steps in. And, and keeping the law then becomes the one who buys us back from our disobedience. I mean, he redeems us. He saves us. You know, there's one thing, I mentioned it on Sunday in the sermon, but I just really needed to, the Lord just sort of opened my eyes to see this. That was really helpful to me. When you think about the coming, the first coming of the law, I mean, really it is the first thing. As soon as they get, God brings his people out of Egypt and he begins to tell them, this is how you live. The first thing, I mean, they overwhelm Moses because there are disputes about, well, can we do this or, but they did that. Does that mean I get to do this or which one of us is in the right here? It's not, I mean, and it's not as if it was like complicated. It basically was God saying, just treat each other in a very kind way and the way that you would like to be treated. And yet immediately 
disputes break out. Moses can't even keep up. And now he's got to put people to, to help uh, judge over all these. I mean, it's just amazing how quickly we can take something that ought to be, in a sense, pretty simple and good and clear, and we'll just twist it and distort it and make it work for us. And uh, that that's just what we do. That's what we do in our hearts. It's always what we do. Well, I, was, I just read this morning uh, the end of the account of the Ten Commandments and then Moses coming down and finding the golden calf. So even before you get to the like, hey, we're having disputes over how we live with each other, it's uh, <laughs> like rule number one and two. We're going to go ahead and violate that. Uh, I, it's just it's remarkable because it is it is the issue of the heart. And it just reminds us that what what God promises in Ezekiel is exactly what we need, that we need his spirit to come and write his law upon our hearts and to take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. And that happens through what, I mean, I think you unpack so well, this adoption that had this redemption that leads to our adoption. Mm -hmm. We're redeemed. We're bought back from the slave market of sin and we're now adopted into God's family so that we can, I mean, what that do you have many of you who have trusted in Christ? You've put on, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's who we are now in God's sight. It's remarkable. Yeah, love that. Love, uh, love the fullness of the work of God, the Father to send his son to redeem us, and then to send his spirit to really, in a lot of ways, as our uh, Puritan friends would often remind us, the, uh, one of the uh, works of the Spirit that they so often reminded us of is uh, the affirmation, the confirmation of our right standing, of our redemption because of the Spirit's work in us. That because if, when we recognize we have the Spirit, well, then we have all kinds of assurance. And uh, I think you would know better than anybody, but in, in uh, just some of my cursory reading of uh, – of the, that band of Christians assurance was something uh, that they were so insistent on, mm-hmm. um, uh, on teaching to their folks. And how can you be assured of your right stand? How can you be assured of your adoption that Christ has redeemed you? It's because the spirit is alive in you. And that was a way that they marked their own confidence mm-hmm. in what God had done. I know we're almost out of time, but, you did remind me. I, kudos to you for your Trinitarian outline on Sunday. Just uh, great, great one, job. Man. Really proud of you. Uh, just teared up a little bit. You know, <laughs> it was good. That was good. I th- but it is remarkable. I've noticed. I think almost every Sunday in Galatians, you could probably talk about the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Spirit in this one work of redeeming a people for His own possession. It's a. Uh, it it is I. That's been one of the more surprising things to me in coming back to Galatians is how deeply Trinitarian Paul is in his very early letter. Um, it's uh, I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised. It's amazing. Yeah, it's just hey, there. All right, look, this may be that's maybe a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyways. You're, you're the boss. Um, I don't. I, I really have to spend some more time thinking about this, but. This is Trinitarian. Have ideas with Tyler Smiley. Trinitarian. When we talk about um, when we talk about the uh, the work of the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Spirit on our behalf to bring us into His family. One of the things I just can't help thinking about is 
uh, how encouraging and how much it shows of God's love towards us that he did in himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, each one working to bring about this salvation, as if to say this, uh, if I, uh, you know, if I lend a helping hand to somebody and, uh, you know, they needed a couple of bucks. And so I gave them a couple bucks and it gave them a, a hand up, you know, well, well done, you know, and maybe that was helpful, but that didn't really take a lot of me to do that. But if I really help someone, I mean, like put myself, my life on the line, like, I mean, it takes all of myself, all of my effort, all of my mental capacity, all of my energy, all of my time, all of my talent. I mean, if it really takes mm. all of me to save that person and to help them, well, that that effort and that salvation in quote mark, I mean, that to help that person is so much more meaningful than the thing that I did that was really no skin off my back anyways. Right. So to look at God and to say, he saved us by giving his whole self, the father loving and sending and hearing our cries, the son who is Jesus Christ coming himself to give of his own flesh on the cross to redeem us. And then the spirit of God, who is the unity of the Trinity and the love of the father and son and the spirit together now coming to live in us to, to assure us of our salvation. So as if all of God is at work, in our salvation, how much more meaningful than if God just, you know, sort of flicked his wrist and said, Oh yeah, you're fine. You know, but he gave of himself. That's so much more meaningful. Yeah. The entire work of God to give the fullness of God to us that in us through the spirit, the fullness of God is now dwelling in us. And what ultimately our hope is to dwell with God himself. Like, I mean, it's his whole work. I mean, it's in it's in a work of the entire Godhead, giving him whole his whole self, him his whole self. Yeah, something you know what I mean. Giving his whole self for us, which is remarkable. Um, this is no small thing. That's it. Well, uh, boy, we could just keep going. See that I said it on Sunday, and it just sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm really not. You could spend so much time in each one of these texts, just unpacking what it means, applying. Yeah, uh, got a lot of got a lot of grief in my Sunday morning group from the person who was teaching because he was complaining about how many verses we lumped together <laughs> in this one, and uh, by we obviously he meant me, and uh, was not very happy about how. He spent much of his time complaining, so he didn't get to cover nearly as much as he wanted to. So then he lost even more time. Yeah. Yeah. Typical yeah. weightlifter. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, as always, it's been good. Time has gone by too fast, but we got to pause and we'll come back next time for some more Galatians. Can't wait for it. And as always, thank you for your time, John. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.